This year is brought to you by Eshel Publications. Eshel Publications is a non-profit organization dedicated to spreading the Torah, Shiurim, and Sefarim of Rabbi Aaron Lapiansky. For sponsorships or more information, visit eshelpublications.com. Actually, is somebody whose yard set is tonight, actually, and that's the Aruch Lener. Um, the Aruch Lener, I don't know if many of you, some of you, most of you probably are familiar with the Sfarim, with, with, with some of the Sfarim sometimes, but the person was a much bigger, um, he, he, um, he, he was a whole Tkufa, and in many ways he's the foundation for a lot of the um, fighting against, standing up to reform movement, and um, it's, a very, it's, a, it's a very incredible life to explore. Um, basically, Rabbi Yaakov Etlinger was in Germany, he was born in 1798 and was nifted in 1872. Um, he was most of his life the Rav Valtuna, which was a sort of part of Hamburg and um, that's basically spent most of his life. The Sfarm he wrote was the Aruch Lener, is his main sefer, Bikur Yaakov is his first sefer, it's on Hilchus Lulav and Sukkah. Um, he wrote the Aruch Lener, Minchas Ani on Drush, and the Shuvas Binyan I guess, let's start, so first of all we always speak about where I got my information from. So there is, really, um, there's a little bit in two places. There is in the new Shuvas of the Archonet that they put out, they have in the Hakdama told us of his, and they had in, in there's a, um, in, in a journal, they had in Hanemon, it's sort of a, a German Jewry type of journal in Hebrew, they had a write-up on him. Um, and this, it's the same material recycled with different twists and turns depending on on who's writing it you get a little bit of an angle different angle and basically his own chuvis and mamarim are pretty much what we have to go on so again a lot of material I'll take out from the chuvis he wrote mamarim that were translated in Hebrew he wrote mamarim that were in German and um, and basically that's what we'll go with okay so let's start so let's understand a little bit the tkufa that he was in in the 1700s the world started changing. Um, revolutions, revolutionary ideas, um, progressive ideas, liberal ideas, and as far as the Jewish community went, the end of the 1700s was when Mendelssohn was active, there was a lot more ideas being batted around, wealthier Jews, their lifestyle being nominally orthodox, but really no content of Frumkai to it. And there was a lot of a lot of things happening inside that were really pretty much eating away at the, at the neshama of Yiddishkeit in Western Europe more. Um, it, it, um, France and the parts of Germany, French had captured in Germany and so on. The, um, in 1810 or, and so on, the early 1800s, lay people in Germany began, somebody named Jacobson, Isla Jacobson, they began to make changes in the ritual of the synagogues, making up their, they have their own temple. They had a sitter there. They published with some changes, and really it was more, as I would say, sort of a grassroots movement of some sort, where people started doing things, changing things, and so on. Um, in the mid 1800s, 1840s, 
there was a conference of rabbis in Brunswick where they came out with statements about um, they, what they feel is, is, is right news and what not, what should be changed. And that's really became much more public um, part of the reform movement. And German Jewry fell apart extremely quickly and possibly because it had been eating up all along. And, um, and, and, and Rabbi Yaakov Etlinger was really the Rebbe of two of the people that would have the most profound influence in bringing back whatever they could salvage of German Jewry. So let's speak about his own... Um, he was born in 1798, which was basically the same year that the Vilna Goyen was Nifta. That's where his history starts from. Um, he was born in a small, in a German town called Karlsruhe, which means the resort area of Prince Karls, of King Karl. Um, he, his early years, he learned by a son of the Shagasarya. The son of the Shagasarya, Reb Asher, was, was a rob there, and he taught him. So he's linked back to the previous generation. He then went, as he got older, he went to a city called Würzburg, which had a yeshiva, a real yeshiva, big, uh, you know, uh, I don't know how big, but it was an established yeshiva. The head of that yeshiva was somebody named Reb Avram Bing. Reb Avram Bing was a Talmud of Reb Nassim Adler. Reb Nassim Adler, maybe some, sometime we'll speak about him, was an extraordinary figure. Reb Nassim Adler was a mystic of sorts, huge Talmud Chacham beyond words. He lived in Frankfurt. The community did not like it because he damned Nuzhari and he duchened and he had all sorts of, he had to keep a minute himself only. He was a Rebbe of Sam Before, the, when the Sam would mention Reb Nassim Adler's name, he would turn white and start shaking. That's, that's who Reb Nassim Adler was. Um, it, anyone who was a Talmud of his spoke about him in terms that were incredible. He was a mysterious person. We know him through his Talmudim. So Samsef was on Talmud, and Rabbi Avram Bing was another Talmud. He had a yeshiva in Würzburg. And the Oroch went to learn in Würzburg. He um, learned by him. A colleague of his was somebody named, who would later be known as Chacham Barnez, who was a little bit of a Rebbe of Shadrach Hirsch also, and of Hildesheimer. Chacham Barnez was a big time Chacham, but more into philosophy, things of that nature, and he was an instrumental figure in German Jewry also. So he was a colleague of Dorch Lener. Dorch Lener had more of a feel for learning Lambdis, Ion, Halacha, much more um, in, that, in that frame, but they, they were Haverim. He learned in Würzburg and he also went to university in Würzburg. Very unclear exactly as to um, what he was doing and why and so on. And this is, depending on whose account you read, you get two different versions. Um, one version of it is that it was natural, Germans were into education, and he was, you know, he was German, and it was something that was natural. He, um, he actually spoke, he was highly educated, he spoke a fluent German and, and he was a beautiful orator and he knew a lot about many things. Um, the people who, there are people who look, who see it very differently. They presented, that was a big, the Eved himself had a thousand times charata and 
he, he wished he didn't go, but he had to do it because of Ezra Slashem, and he had to do it to, to go against the other people, and a, a lot of, um, and quoting, and, and everybody quotes selectively. He, he does write that it's a big sakana, and he does write that it's something that he needed Shmira from. doesn't write that he shouldn't have done it. On the other hand, he doesn't write that it's Lachatchila. Um, he never spoke about it much, but Tachlis was, he was, he, he was extremely sophisticated. He spoke marvelously. Um, in his later years, King Willem of Prussia met him, and he was blown away by him. He said he'd never seen somebody as, as aristocrat like him, and he actually turned him down. Um, he asked Archner to participate in some evening the next evening, and he, and he, and he very politely refused and told him it's some Gedalian, not going to go to any evening somewhere in some Gedalian, and so on. And the king was blown away by him. So he definitely had, and, and in a lot of his chuvas, he dealt with more modern type of technology and things like that, and he was very familiar and, and so on. So um, hard to know how to. Um, have to interpret it, but Tachlis was he did go to university. In some places, I see it says he went for one year. Some places it says he basically finished. What did happen was there was a big, there were German pogroms at the time called Hep Hep riots. I think Hep Hep is, is some sort of abbreviation for go to Palestine. Jews should go to Palestine, and he was attacked. He was in a room and he had to jump out the back window and run away. And that that was the end of his um, that was his end of his uh, university career. He wasn't interested in going back anymore, and he left and so on. So he was a Talmud of Rabbi Bing. Um, he had studied university, and then he became at a very young age in his twenties. He, he he got married and um, he had uh, he had seven kids. And his wife was Nifter. They were married thirteen years, and he remarried again. He, at the age of 28, I think it is, he became the um, Rav and Rosh Hashiva of a Kloiz in Mannheim. Mannheim is a, a, was a city that had a dedicated base medrash with an endowment fund for people to sit and learn. A sort of what we would call a kibbutz yeshiva today. And he was, he became Rosh Hashiva of it. And he had Talmidim, and, and Chashva Talmidim over there. And Shalom Shafal Hirsch learned by him for a year when he was in Mannheim. And he was one of the people who had a lot of influence on him. Um, as a tzura of, of, of a rav in, in Allah and many other areas. That was, he was there 10 years in Mannheim. By the way, if you want to get a, a, a sense of how much... Um, how much German jury and knowledge and so on had plummeted, the Shagasari's son, Rebasha, who taught him, um, wrote that he sees that Germany is going to pat because there's no Talmud Torah, and he worked very hard and made a takana that everybody has to send this kid to learn Gemara until at least he's 13 years old. And he feels very good about that takana. It was in Skabul in a lot of places and so on. But that was where it was holding. That was the matzav then in those days. From Mannheim, he then went on to become Rav. He was there 10 years. And the Rabbanis in Altuna opened up. Altuna was a major Jewish city. Um, it was a city that included in itself Hamburg, Altuna, um, Wurzburg, I think, was the third one, Ahu, Kehillah Ahu, and it was a very prestigious Rabbanis. 
he became Rav there for um, till, till he was Nifta. That was his Rabbanis. So and that's where he stayed. That's that. That was he became the Rav there, and he had a yeshiva there, and that was him. He was he was the, the Rav Altuna, and that's what he was known at. Altuna was a very famous city. Um, Reverend Ibishes has been robbed there, and so on. Um, by the way, one of the people who writes about the history of that Kufa writes that the reason why Talmud Torah had disintegrated in Germany was because the fight of Rabbi Yaakov Emder and Yosef took the good taste away from everybody, and people became nimus in it. Somebody blames it on. Um, Rabbi Yaakov on, on, on his Melchama and Rabbi Yonasai had a big yeshiva and he was the most profound Torah personality in that area and uh, it, it was because of that war and that, that Machlokas that Torah dissipated but be it as it may, he was a Rav when things were going downhill terribly to his credit um, A, as long as he was Rav in Altuna no one did open up, change any minhagim, even if they were, even if they weren't from. But the respect for him was incredible, and a lot of things were kept in check. Um, was, the German Jews had that level dachat, even if they were not terribly committed, and they and they, and they were respectful of him. Some interesting points about his fight with the reform movement and so on. So. First of all, one of the things that he's very proud of that he made, that he feels was very, very um, important, he made a, a journal, a, a newspaper slash journal that came out as a weekly for five, six years. It was called Shomet Sien Haneeman. And it included Pilpul Divetora, Nuri Shainim that they uncovered with, with all sorts of, you know, um, Writings on it, um, uh occasional arguments against reform, but not much or many. Very not clear. In other words, he, he felt very strong that this was a very important defense line against reform. Not clear. In other words, it wasn't like articles against them. It, occasionally, on a rare occasion, there'd be an article about it, but not, but not. Um, it, that wasn't a steady diet of it. It was a lot more like a Torah journal of sorts, with with articles, letters, writings, shilas and shuvas. I don't, I, I don't know. I think he felt more that it would give a sense of togetherness, unity, existence to the Torah community. We're not, we're not nobody. We're here. He resisted coming out very strongly and openly against reform. And it's fascinating. He invited Rabbi Schleimeger, Rekivega's son, to come visit him and to talk over the issue of reform. Rekivega's son, Rekivega, said that his community, I assume was Posen, they had, you know, sort of removed them from, they, 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 they removed reformed Jews from the pale of Yiddishkeit and they made separate kehillahs and threw them out. He was against it, and he writes that the reason is as follows. Rav Shlomo writes this in a letter that he went to visit him. He said that Rabbi Yaakov Edlicke was, you know, gave him covered malachim, and yet he refused. He said German Jews respect rabbanim, 
they will they will hold on to what they're told to do so long as it's part of the kehillah. If we go against them and make two separate kehillahs, then he said many innocent, unlettered, to me mistaken people who don't know anything will go with them and not with us. And then we'll lose them. And for their sake, we can't do that. So it's interesting, it gets into the same thing, the same attitude gets interpreted in two ways. Um, the the um, more moderate people, right, that 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 the oracle there says that it's also to split the kehillas, like a cook, that this is it's mamish, it's the worst thing possible to split a Jewish kehilla, and it's Yahweh not to do that. Um, the Kanoim felt that he was tainted somewhat with the German mindset, and you know it was forgivable. They had tremendous for him, but they sort of, or they saw it as as only b'diavet. But it was, it was kind of interesting, it's a, it was a point that he sort of tread a very fine line between what the Toelis is of doing these things and it gets interpreted as people wish to interpret it. Uh, everybody likes to make things that she tells with their own shittas and he gets put into both boxes by each side, a, a kanoim amongst kanoim and, and, and a, um, a moderate amongst moderates. He did come out with a, an 1840, in the 1844, I think, they had this conference in Brunswick uh, 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 where they had a, a handful of quote unquote rabbis, I think it was 20 some odd rabbis, who um, said that, you know, basically, it, it, it towards about pairs over and you don't need this, you don't need that. And he wrote very, very, he wrote a big letter against it, a big mimer, but it was in German. And the Xaf Sofa wrote to him, Hayitochen. In, in Hungary, the big battle was not to use the language of the um, of the Goyim. So you, you Rabbanim, write a letter totally in German? So he said, well, nobody understands Hebrew. So what's the point of writing a letter in Hebrew if, if, the, if, if they only speak German? So Saf said, so write in Hebrew and translate in German. But Rabbanim have to write a letter in Hebrew and he gave him a Nusach. He retranslated his German into Hebrew and sent him and said, this print as the Hebrew letter and then, and then add to it um, the German that he wrote. And that's okay, I'm, I'm fine with that. The, some of the, um, some of, uh, it's, and basically it seemed to have had such a fine balance of it. He, he was very involved in artistic activities. And it's interesting, here also there's something of, of the future political issues that would come up. He was head of Kailal Haid, which is Holland, Germany. They, they um, supported people living in Israel. We spoke about it when we spoke about Chaim Zonnefeld. And he was also recognized by many of the Pais in Israel as very Hashem. And they would send him crazy in Shailas. He raised money to build houses in Israel in the old city, Bate Machsa is built by him, or helped by him. After that, they dedicated one of those, uh, one or two of those apartments, called them Beis Yaakov, Le'ilu Nishmasai, and Rabbi Yosef Chaim Zonnefeld lived in, in that apartment, and Rabbi Yosef Chaim Zonnefeld was extremely, he had tremendous hierarchy for him. He himself, the Ksav Seifer, bought him a set of Baruch Lanair because he saw how much he wanted it. 
And he would give it many times about Mitzvah President because he held it gives you a yashras in how to learn. It, it's a very, it's galat. He was extreme, extreme yashras, like a person. And everything he said was no pilpul to the point and with shigladas. But Rabbi Hirsch Kalisher, who was one of the early, sort of what we would call Mizrahi Rabbani, was Adam Gadol, who very much was for at building up Eretz Yisrael. He wrote a sefer, on, a mimer sefer, about being makriv korbanis bismanazeh, that you can bring korbanis bismanazeh even though that there's no, um, even though there's no there's no bismik, there's no mizbech, you can still bring korbanis. And he sent it around. And the Aruch Lener wrote a mimer against it, and he called it Binyan Tzian. And it's interesting, he didn't deal with all the halachic issues. He basically said, it says, One of the closest Golas HaKadosh Baruch no longer wants our Kabbanis. And there's no point to bring a Kabbanis when there's a Veloi Ariach, until Mashiach comes and there's a Rasen for Kabbanis. He even said he wasn't sure if halachically it's not Yoytze, but it's wrong to do that. Etzias Kalash was very upset. He said they should have called it Chorbensin, not Binyansin, the, 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 the thing he wrote. And he says, how with Divri Agada can you knock off you know, a, a halachic binyan of mine? But the truth was, it was, Etzias Kalash was interested in sort of forcing Mashiach's hands. You know, in, in, I mean, it was out of God and everything, but the point was, we'll go to Etzisrael, we'll bring Korbanis, we can do it. And he was against it. And and the and many gedolim health like him. It, it, it's now the time where Kadosh was not interested in it. Don't push it. Don't force it. But this was an early harboring of of, of future machlokis on this. Um, you know, the many Reb was most strongly against it. But it was a more developed move in his times. So that was so he was involved in Israel activities with that. His shilas and shuvas included many interesting things. And I'll just read a few, uh, a few interesting things that I picked out. They've, they've been reprinted in a decent print, actually, a very nice print, a while back. It's called Shailus Achuvis Ha'aruch Lener, and has Binyan Sian, and then it has, after that, it has um, a collection of stuff, some Chidushim he wrote, and odds and ends, and an intro, which is a biography that's collected from, from the other stuff. So here we have a tshuva. Somebody asked him in Binyan Sian Hanemon in his newspaper. They want to make a takon in his town that only one shul and uh, and the, the only one person should have as a chazan and he should have special clothing. He wasn't sure if this person is a from person or this person is reform. And he needed to be cagey about it. And he writes, this takana dab one shul, if you really mean Lashem Shemayim, and 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 it's done for the for the dignity of davening, okay. But this is a type of thing that reform people sometimes use Shalom Shem Shemayim, because basically they let you dab only one shul, and then and then uh, and they do exactly what they want to do. He says to wear these begadim. I don't know where you got this from. Where does it say Chazan has to wear these special begadim? And actually, he wanted to compare it to Big Day Kahuna. He said to tell me that if a person Chazan is not wearing those black gowns with a hat, it's like a koyin's mechus Big Day It's absolute rubbish. He says the our uniform is a talus. 
and that's what you should stick with. Um, so he, he basically felt that this person was was trying to get something out of him that he didn't want, and he sort of answered like that. That's um, one interesting tshuva. Another tshuva that I found sort of was interesting is her Kivega. Rekivega wrote to him. This is Biyoim Dalad Bishabis Bezer Shesh Cheshman Tofkov Sadik Zion, 1837. Um, it's actually 1836 because in Cheshman He says, Thank you very much for sending me your Sefer. That's called Bikuri Yaakov on Hilchas Sukkis and Lulav. Um, even though I have a lot of work and I'm very, very weak, but because I really like you so much, I, I learned through the Sefer, and I wanted to be able to be able to to be available with you. So he has um, all sorts of um, yeah auras on it, and um, you know he he places where he feels he's right. And then he writes about one of them. Um, he says, Baruch Hashem, I was your bar mazel, and I was mechaven to your great das in learning Pshat Naguda, and I'm very, very happy with that. It's quite a Haskamer Kivega. He writes about you. I'm so fortunate that I was mechaven to you in in Vladait Chagadol. Kivega also adds. A little, um, uh, a little uh, note at the end. I please asking you that the only thing you should write, the only title you should ever use is Harav, um, and that's it. Uh, don't uh, no other titles. He also promised to to look at it in, the, in, in, in a short kufa and write more, but he was he was nifta. Um, there is a um, he, he writes about. I was asked das Torah, basically, um, from a Jewish perspective, how do you look at an organization in Frankfurt that's based on the following, on the following uh, axioms? That you can change Moshe Rabbeinu's Torah whenever you want, by the, based on circumstances. Um, the, the Talmud and all of Torah is not relevant for a Jew. The, there, we do not hope for Mashiach. Brismila was given only to Avram, and it, it's not binding on Klal Yisrael. <laughs> so, what's the what's the Hashkafah had a look on this? Um, I, I need not tell you what he writes about it, um, but he, like he says, I'm not quite sure what you, you know, like what you want. Um, and he writes uh, now. Uh, he says, but he says something. He says very interesting. Tiny. He says. If this attitude were to reach Goyim and so on, then then everything would be lost because you can change anything you want, you, you can so on and so forth. Very interesting. I, I, I'm curious to know what exactly was the point of it and so on. But um, at the end, he writes, and this again, this is his attitude that um, he says as follows. We want to that he should open the eyes of all these people who are 
who have gone off the derech. V'sheyachsa is some lechek atav emuna. You bring back to emuna. V'kachyavod lekol Yisrael amuuchad b'shalom in acherim at ketsi yamim. And all Klai Yisrael be over that kadosh baruch So he doesn't doesn't deal much with klolus, but he actually but he's he's um, he he says that he hopes they all go back. They all do tshuva. This is a very interesting tshuva on machine matzis. They started making his days, this is Tafre Shutes, so that's 1859. Um, um, and again, it's Tavis, so it's either or, it's either 1860. Um, they, they, there was a huge fight broke out in Europe about Mishim Atzis. Most of the were against it. The Sholem, uh, the Sholem Natanzen, the Sholem Meishiv was for it, and the Bakhmatagar was for it. So he writes like this. He says, um, you, you, you wrote me a letter asking about making machine matzis and our kehillah. says, yes, in, the, in my kehillah, I, I pass him that they should do it with machine matzis. I'm very happy because it's much more kosher, it's quicker. And it's true in the beginning, I was worried about, I'd heard that pieces fall off and stuff like that. And that, it, that they're all pieces that stick inside so I have to clean it. So I made a, um, <coughs> I, I, I set up a system how they should cut the matzis and what they should do, not make long pieces. I, I worked out a, a, um, I worked out a system in how to make it work well. And he says, besides which, I also told them they should make the matzis round because people were used to round matzis and they sort of didn't feel comfortable using square matzis. So I said they should do it with like a quick wheel. They should cut it so that it's round, but it, it should not be, um, you know, it, it, should, um, it, it should be machine matzah, but round machine matzah. Um, he says, and, and he had a whole system how they make sure it's clean and nothing happens. He said, uh, I'm very happy and all people, all your HMIMs feel that these machines are wonderful. And he said, I wonder that you told me that there are Rabbanim in his country who answer it. I think those Rabbanim mean L'Shem Shemayim, but they have no idea how a machine works. And and and, um, and then he brings here on the bottom of the notes that a lot of the people who answered it said, I don't know, um, I'm not sure about it. I don't know how it works. I've never seen it. I heard from somebody. Um, and so on. He said, I don't know why, I mean, uh, uh, you know, they probably just don't know what they're talking about. He said, if their attitude is that that you can't do anything that's new, he says, we, Yekesh Rabbanim, also are very strong about um, not doing new things. He says, but that has to do with Torah mitzvahs. We don't change Torah mitzvahs. But what has to do with machines and technology why not why not get the best out of it to make the best out of our mitzvahs you know means change the nusach or anything like that that we don't do now and but 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 if they made a machine that makes matzah better why would you want to do it with that that was his and, and that was his attitude to a lot of things if you take a look he has quite a few chuvis on on all sorts of new things and so on he went to check everything he never wrote a chuvis. he went looked at it, checked it, it sometimes you couldn't get, someone drew him pictures uh, uh, of something and he said it, he's, he doesn't get it, he wants to see it actually the nicer 
he was Machma Messiris. For instance, when it came to eating birds that have no Messiris, even though they seem to have Simonim, but since it's a name of Messiris, he would not um, he, he would not change that. He has this is a very interesting um, letter over here, which is uh, um, a, gradu- a girl's graduation. Uh, maybe I'll go through. There's one more tshuva that's a fascinating tshuva, and it, it really speaks more about what life was like, and it also speaks about how things haven't changed in some ways. It, 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 there was a tshuva from a there was a village in Hungary where the husband. There were two people in, in, in that village who traveled for weeks on business. And once he went away on a business trip, the two of them went away on a business trip, and a very, very big tzaddik came to town. He was somebody that wouldn't eat anything from animals and sleep on the floor where you could take hot slices. And he asked the lady if he could stay by her. She had, she had children and, and, and servants, I guess there was no problem. And she said yes. And he was there for a week and a half. And he would like take a and sleep on the floor and not eat, eat anything and this and that. And then one night he came to her bedroom and he said that he's Elio Novi and that he's found such wonderful tzaddikas like her and they'll have Moshiach together. And he can prove it absolutely because after he leaves, three days after he leaves, there'll be a big box, there's a big box under the bed. It'll be filled with 400 huge gold coins. Can't get better proof than that, can you? Um, so the um, and she lived with him, and then um, he left. And three days later, she opened the box and there was nothing there. So she realized that she was she'd been hatched, that she was fooled, and she she's you know and the Shiloh came to him, and it was very hard to find a heta. Um, it, it, it came to many dollars, but but um, it was not posh at all to find a hetter. And um, he has an interesting. His he, he looked at it from a, from the angle of the, of Adas and so on, whatever it is. But Al Kopanim, um, you know, and he writes in a in a very little right, twist. He writes your osa kislosa. It's it's a takeoff from a pasik in it's a takeoff from a pasik in Eov. It means a stupid piety. In other words, Kislasa means foolishness, Yer Ascha, it means Yer Yira. It, it was a twist on the word to mean like she was a very stupid person, but she meant it, she meant well. She was very unleaded, unlearned, and that's, that's what she meant. There's a letter, there's one of the Mamarim they have printed here. And again, when you're trying, the people who are not in Germany, saw him as, like, like a Shemeiga, as one of this, a regular East European Rav, who's fighting Mechab Hashem in Germany, except maybe he dodges in German, like that's the only thing that he concedes. He has here a public, um, a public test for the girls in the girls' school in Germany. Now, a girls' school, this is 1867, and in Europe, in Eastern Europe, there wasn't even yet a Havmin Shavavmin to have a girls' school. There was no such thing. He had a girls' school. And they had a public test, a whole ceremony where they tested publicly. So, so the, the, the um, Yaakov Etlinger started with a drasha, and he said, first of all, it, you would think 
it looks like a confirmation. Confirmation was a Protestant ceremony that the reform movement had adopted as one of this. The, um, it was consists like at the age of 16 or so, they have like a public display and they ask everybody again if they want to, you know, to confirm that they, that now as adults, they want to join the religion and so on and so forth. He said, this looks like a confirmation, which is a goyish custom. And he said, the, um, it, it, the reason over there is that they want the, that, that people should accept the religion themselves as adults. We believe that a Jew is benishmas, a Jew, and there's no need for these religious um, ceremonies for that and so on and so forth. He said, we're giving a test, and really we shouldn't, we should do it in the school, not in the shul, but, but uh, I'm required by law to do it this way, and therefore I have to do it. So um, my sense is it had to look like a confirmation. They had to do it because the government was mechayevit and, and so on. And, and then he gave the test and he said that um, he gave the test and after they finished the test they then had a boys choir sing um, the first 16 psukim of Perkofiya tests. And then the Rav darshaned, very beautiful Josh, he was very beautiful darshan, he darshaned about Shemayim and Oretz, two, two creations. I want to read the last part. Fascinating how he spoke to a group of 16-year-old girls in Germany. He says, now, he, um, he says, um, he spoke to the parents, and then he says, and now to you, and my, the girls who are now graduating from, 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 from school, and you're probably very happy to become part of from learning. He says, don't fool yourself. You're not, yes, from here on now, you're not going to have classes and lessons, but you're going to go into the great school of life itself. The worries, the troubles, the challenges that have been there till today will increase a lot more in, in, in the school of life. Also the tests that scared you so much in school you're going to get them in a much stronger dose in that, in that school. And therefore, he says, strengthen yourself, don't give up. HaKadosh Baruch will watch over you. As long as you go dark Hashem and you implement the mitzvahs and you makayim it where you were taught, um, they, will, they will lead you through this world like stars lead you through a dark night. Um, if you go after the, the, the manhigim, Manhige Emes, and you don't move away from Derech Torah Mitzvahs. I want to give you a bracha, Yisimcha Lekim Kesara, Rivka Rachel Valeya. The mothers of our nation should be your guiding path, the, the guiding stars, and um, you should be Matzliach to adorn yourself with with the with the pride of of, of the Jewish moral values. Um, that's how he spoke to them. It's very fascinating. This is way, way ahead of, of his times. Um, so I guess to sum up in many ways, um, he, he was really at the turning point from when, um, you know, the door reform the 1700s, you, you had, you know, you, you had the Vilnagoyen, you, you had the Kivega was still there and, and, and so on. It was the old generation. Things were like they were. The the leaders the the the, the, the was later he was a bridge he was tremendous Paisik. Um 
his Rebbe Kivega writes, uh, you know, thanks him for the safe and writes Hagos and Oris on it, and tells the Bosh Hashanah He himself produced the the two leaders who would save the remnants of German Jewry, Hashanah Paul Hirsch and uh, Rebbe Zvi Hildesheimer. Um, he was he 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 kept the balance between and like I, I, like he puts it really the way which became the German derech. He says, I also believe that Chodesh Asimnatayra, but Chodesh means changing the Torah, not changing the world. If the world now is a printing press, we need to produce a, a Jewish newspaper. If they have schools, we need to produce Jewish schools. If they have machines that make matzahs much quicker, much more efficient, we need to make matzahs more quicker and efficient. You, you can't write a tshuva about something happening and say, I'm not sure, but I heard about it. That's not the way to approach halachs like that. His bezin was recognized by the government. Um, he was considered to be extraordinarily, his, his, his yashras, his integrity. Um, his whole bearing aroused so much covet that, that he kept he kept at least the chitzonius of, of, of keeping Yiddishkeit and Altuna, he kept because of, of his personage. It was Kuloi Merkavit. Um, he left, he wrote, he, he, he raised money to make a yeshiva in Yisrael. This is, you're talking about the mid-1800s, and he said, Torah is going to dissipate and fizzle out in Europe. It will only survive in Yisrael, and that's why we have to make a great yeshiva and send the boys to learn there. It's quite prescient. Um, he's, um, he, the, the, the way in which he balanced, um, there was a big shayla from Yerushalayim that came about a ger, famous shayla, ger shemol v'le toval, if he's chayi v'mitzvah, if he's mutter b'chal shabbos, osm b'chal shabbos, chayi v'chal shabbos. And, and he, he bases his shuv a lot on, I've never seen a precedent for this, it, you know, a tremendous faithfulness to Mesorah. On the other hand, he made a girls' school, and he understood he needed to do these things. But the ruach that he gave over was tremendous Yerushimayim. Um That was that was him. He he, he left over. Um, I think it was Chaim Zalfeld said about him. He left over an interesting. He he left over eight farim called Aruch Lener. And it was nifta the first night of Hanukkah, or some sort of nibe lerda um, manibe. He himself, his own life was a tremendous chassid and kaddish. He he slept three hours a night. He was noyeg with tremendous precious. And yet, when he when he got his first rabbanus, he said the job of a rav is He has to be part of the um. He's not somebody who is. A- apart from the Um, he is part of the Um. That's of the nation. That's what he has to be. And he was a dogma of, of that type of Rav Rabbanis, that he himself was, a, was above everyone, he was Malchustic, and yet he understood the people, lived it, and was able to put down his status for saving whatever remnants could be saved in the next generation. Okay. Yeah. The truth of that